described the problem in the security industry, actually, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's worrying about sort of AI and securing AI at the moment when, the, you know, the back door is wide open because they're not doing the kind of basics. Welcome to Cloud Realities, a conversation show exploring the practical and exciting alternate realities that can be unleashed through cloud-driven transformation. I'm Dave Chapman. I'm Shel Kazal. And I'm Rob Kernahan. And this week we're going to be talking about the ever-important conversation that goes on around the world of cyber. It's got more and more complex over the last few years, but maybe the basics are still the important thing that we need to focus on. So this week we're going to talk about the conversation that boards are having around cyber and maybe some suggestions on a wider conversation that they could have if they're not already having it. But before we get to that, I was walking into the office the other day and Rob was just finishing a human beatbox heavy version of Hark the Herald Angel Sing in the foyer, uh, <laughs> caroling away. And he was waving madly trying to get my attention. And I was walking past trying not to make eye contact with him. But eventually he managed to drag me over. And of course I was like, Rob, what's confusing you this week? I must say, Dave, you've... Uh... You've raised the bar with that one. Well done. Um, <laughs> Thanks, mate. Well, as I was singing, I was confused about Bluetooth and where it's going to go next. I'll tell you why. It is remain. It's almost 30 years old, Bluetooth. 1994 it got created, so it's been going for a long old time, right? right? It's still one of the most frustrating and unreliable things you have to suffer in your life, okay? so And also, you see Apple and Samsung and Google putting proprietary logic into their Bluetooth system, so if you buy their phone and get their Bluetooth earbuds. They pair really well. However, if you try and cross-pair them, it all goes horribly wrong. And we've lived with Bluetooth for far too long, right? So I'm confused about what's going to happen next. So we've seen proprietary divergence when normally you want convergence of that. And it remains, you know, one earbud connected, but not the other. Oh, it's not connecting. Turn it off and on again. This mm. 30 years we've been doing this and it's so not got better. 30 it's years. Long. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe I've underthought this important subject that you raised this morning but <laughs> uh, it's a human nation it seems to work okay for me i mean maybe though rob maybe the issue is i've chosen a closed mobile system to use which just works and you've maybe gone for a open slightly a buggier system that maybe doesn't just work every time. If you get into the Android, Apple, iPhone type debate, David, I'm going to just, no, no, don't do it. Don't do it. But it is, it is, it is. We've been going, 19, I checked it, 1999, the first time Bluetooth headphones came out. Oh. 24 years later, they still don't work properly. And I'm like, what, what next? Is it even secure? I know. I don't, I don't even get started on that. But yeah, it's like this panacea. When it came, it launched massive fanfare. This is going to, you know, revolutionize your tech experience. 30 years later, I'm still swearing at Bluetooth headsets. I, 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 I'm, this is one like normally when you do your, your confusion subject. This is I'm more like, rage. I'm more, <laughs> more frustrated. <laughs> than this is man shouts at the sky stuff. I reckon like the Bluetooth works pretty well. That's where I'm going with this. I, I I mean, yes, there's the odd, there's the odd little quirk. Sometimes when you get a rent a car and you're trying to connect your phone to play music, that can be a little bit of a mess about. But that's generally because of the 
Can interface just, in the case. Hang on, hang on. You actually materially failed to be able to connect to your phone in oh, Vegas. Yeah. So that's a perfect example of where uh, that's a Bluetooth fail. I, I would say right that there. was. I, I would say that one. was more the more the uh, the car's interface than the <laughs> and, and my ability <laughs> oh, to that's work it. it. Blame everything else other than your Apple ecosystem. Well done, you. <laughs> well, let's leave it there, shall we? And I'm not. I'm not sure we're ever going to resolve that one because I think most of the world think Bluetooth's broadly all right. I think you should go back to your caroling, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) Probably a good idea. So look, let's move on to today's major subject then. Joining us this week, I'm delighted to say, is Simon Hodgkinson, the former CISO at BP and now strategic advisor to a number of boards and also old friend of mine. We worked together back in the days of BP. Simon, great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Dave. Really appreciate the invite, actually. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, so 30, 38 years now in technology, been doing cyber and cybersecurity predominantly for the last eight to 10 years. And prior to that, worked for various different uh, industries, including um, software and financial services uh, before joining oil and gas. Right. So Simon, why don't we start by just getting a sense of your history? Like, tell us where you started off in your career and, and then how you ended up in the world of the CISO. Yeah, perfect. Um, so, so interestingly enough, I do talks for schools, trying to encourage people into sort of STEM careers and what have you. And, and I always start by saying I started my career in the cloud. Right. right. And that was in 1985, because what we were doing was selling compute on mainframes. Mm-hmm. to oh, other companies and it was just it, it was just like exactly like the cloud is today so so i started out on mainframes um i used to be the guy that was trying to debug programs on punch cards i know i don't look that old but i am I, was this in the late, late 60s maybe 68 69 <laughs> I'm sort of I'm sort of envisaging you know like those old videos of like the moon launch and stuff like that yeah yeah did you wear a white coat with pens in the top? No, you we, your punch we, no, cards? no, we didn't have to. We, but, 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 you know, punch cards was a thing. And you'd get like a thousand punch cards and put them through the processor. And one would be wrong. And you'd then have to try and debug but, and, and actually like get a little clipper and, and, uh, and, and amend it and get a little sticky tape to put over the, the holes that were wrong. Did you ever witness massive comedy moment in computing when the punch cards go in the air and all yes. fall out of order? That's because that's just like yeah. the ultimate what moment. Yeah, yeah abs- absolutely. But the other thing I say to them is actually, I showed them a picture of the computer room. It actually wasn't our computer room, but it was a very similar one. And, uh, you know, say that, you know, your phone has got 18,000 times the compute power that that entire room had in it, which was like yeah. f- the size of a football pitch. Um, so yeah, I started back then, Dave, and uh, it was in the very early days of open systems. So we had this little, uh, they had this box turn up into the in, in the computer room and everyone looked at it and I thought, well, let's just open it up and, uh, and have a play. And it was Unix and it was BSD 4.2 Unix in the really early days. So I got into Unix then and into early versions of relational database, so Ingress for, you know, if people can remember the, the name Ingress. And I joined Ingress in uh, early 90s and got into a big time into relational databases. Uh, that sounds quite sad, actually. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Dinner party conversation 101. <laughs> Let's talk about ACID principles. <laughs> um, and then, then I moved to Sybase. Um 
went on from Sybase to Lehman Brothers and worked for Lehman for four years doing uh, database and Unix uh, and, and got into leading a team at that point. In 2000, uh, I got tempted out of Lehman, probably a good thing in the long run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But got tempted out. Up there. Exactly. Uh, to do a dot com. And um, we built a fixed income electronic uh, brokerage platform. And it was a, it was a really elegant solution in very early days of Java and, and, and that. So um, it was a really lovely, lovely solution. The trouble was nobody wanted it. Was it ahead of its time? Well, it was. So fixed income brokers always did their deals over several bottles of wine and a really expensive lunch. What they didn't <laughs> want was the, uh, the electronic was, was trading. Was that the ultimate? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think we kind of got that a little bit wrong. And, yeah. and the financial markets in 2002 were horrible. So shut that down. And then I joined BP. And I always remember when uh, it was an old boss of mine that encouraged me to go over. And I said, I don't want to go to an oil and gas company. Mm-hmm. It's like dirty industry. I've been in tech. I've been in um, financial services, done a dot-com failed by the way but i've done a dot com and he said no 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 come on come on come and have a look and i uh, didn't realize bp at that point had the uh, largest commodities trading function in the world mm. so it was just like walking in to uh, an investment bank except that they hadn't invested much in technology at that point so um uh, they wanted somebody to come in and run infrastructure for them build their first data center, which was the, uh, you will lovingly remember as a Southeast Hall in uh, in Global Switch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I've had, I had nine jobs at BP and um, the last two I ran Global Infrastructure and Ops. We called it INIS then. And then uh, when Daniel Barriuso, um, who was the CISO, great guy, resigned, I kind of had a almost a sort of guttural reaction to, I want to do that job. So I went to went and asked if I could do the job on the expectation I would take it on as well as doing the infrastructure role. And they said, well, no, you can you can go for it, but you'd have to give up the infrastructure role. So I went down the CISO route and absolutely loved it for four years. But it's exhausting. Well, and that maybe brings us on to the over that same time period, perhaps like the evolution of cyber itself. Like I was actually and I'm not sure we ever talked about this in the past. I, I was a CISO for BAT back in the early 2000s, like 2001, 2002 yeah. sort of period of time. And at the time, you, I was double tracking that role with, uh, with, a, with a head of infrastructure role. And it was very perimeterized. And we spent a lot of time, to, you know, working with group security. And we thought about it in kind of much more, much more controlled and physical terms. And I think it's fair to say over the, over the course of the last 20 years, your ability to manage IT security in that way is, is completely vanished, well, right? You got the, when cloud didn't exist, everything could be in a walled garden estate and you could always sort of, a lot of people focused on the perimeter. We've learned that perimeter defenses aren't always the best. They're a good good thing in your bailiwick, but you know, that whole big walled garden getting smashed open by cloud completely changed it all, didn't it? So you used to be able to put your arms around it, touch it, feel it, see it, excellent. I can quantify the problem easily versus the the new world, which is computers everywhere and highly distributed. How do you manage that then? Your edge and everything else has made the problem dramatically worse or harder, I should say. 
I agree with you. And I think like most things in life, it's a people problem as well. So if you go back to those early days when, when you were a CISO, Dave, actually, you know, there was a lot of control points in the system. Mm. And actually the volume of change in IT was dramatically lower, yeah. dramatically lower. So you could you could actually be involved and put put sort of human controls around things. Now the the sort of pace of delivery is so quick that 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 model no longer works. You can't have somebody at the end of a project with a checklist, going, "Oh, hang on, you haven't done this, or or you've got this uh, medium vulnerability that we're saying you can't go live with." That that those days are gone. And yet there's still a lot of people in the industry and a lot of companies that are still making money off that kind of uh, old school security model. Yeah. So, so I think that it's that one of the biggest changes. It's a technology change, but it's also just the the way everybody does digital now. I mean, it's you know everybody does right. In your mind, you know, if the old model is this perimeter controlled checkpoint at the end framework for security, how are you conceptualizing what the current environment looks like in terms of if you're a CISO today? How would you you be envisaging how you would get your arms around what's going on? So, so a couple of things. I think first you have to completely change the thought process to, to you know, we the, the whole castle and moat, that terminology is used quite a lot about the old world. But actually now it's about identity and data. So that's what you've got to protect ultimately is, is the identity and data. And so, you know, people talk about zero trust and too many people talk about zero trust being a product. It's, it's not. It's a design principle. But at the very heart of zero trust, you can have all the segmentation you want in the world. But if you have got, have you got no integrity or uh, availability of your identity, nothing works. Hmm. So, so I think you've got to really focus on those things that are really important to protecting those core assets, which is, is like I said, identity and protecting the data. I also think that automation is absolutely critical. So now if you think about those old waterfall days when people would like run a project and you get security to come in at the end and do their bits and bobs and, and then tell you you couldn't go live and then you'd have an argument and then somebody would make a sensible decision or a pragmatic decision on, on when you could go live if you did X, Y and Z, you know, you're doing drops multiple times a day now. So that has got to be completely instrumented through the software delivery lifecycle, hmm. um, completely instrumented um, and having control points in that along the way. And part of that is also embedding security in everything that you do as a business, everything that you do as a business. So it's not this thing that sits on the side ticking boxes it's embedded in the decision-making on uh, mergers and acquisitions, the decision-making on things like new country entry. Your developers become security experts as well. So you embed you know, knowledge and capability in the development community because, frankly, there's not enough security people now to, to you know, add to every single product that you're, you're delivering. So you've got to find ways of embedding um, security in every aspect of the business, in my view. And what's your view on the scale of the risk change as well? So hacking continues to grow. You heard yesterday nation states calling out other nation states for saying, you're hacking us, stop, we know what you're doing type thing. There's this ever-increasing threat. It seems to be more pervasive everywhere. Everybody's having a go. That appears to have piled on a lot of pressure as well. Never 
have you have we ever been so intensely thinking about securing our systems and the 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 uh, dodgy actors out there trying to get control of the data yeah i think i think that the, the attack surface just grows i mean it grows because digital world is is getting bigger right i mean it's like you know what business do you know can survive without their t- technology platforms for a month it's it's just it, it's beyond comprehension that will be the end of most businesses mm-hmm. as we know no bcp plans in my view can last for a month without the digital platforms that that underpin them so i think companies um need to really reflect on the sort of geopolitical challenges that you you brought up there rob and i i know when i'll give you an example when there were trade sanctions uh, uh turned up in the middle east guess what the attacks increased and and the attacks often come from proxies for government uh that are criminal gangs um but you know they they're frankly funded by the state uh, i think everybody would uh, uh would say that's true of uh, things like russia if nothing else they're they're prepared to harbor those those people in there so i think i think that you know that's an example where why are they why, why do you see that increase well frankly if you if you cut off the flow of money through one route guess what they're going to go to the criminal world to try and fund those economies and 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 so you can see there's that sort of state and criminal sort of uh activity that's driven by the uh, whole geopolitical world i think the other thing that's that's uh, occurring as well is there is more nation state activity because you can hide behind it yeah and and nation state activity uh you've seen some recently i mean the attack on the um power stations in ukraine for instance i mean is that an act of war mm. i mean you know, there's no geneva convention for cyber right. there is in the in the physical world but there isn't isn't for cyber but actually one might argue an attack on critical national infrastructure is uh, is a is a war you know is is a trigger for a kinetic uh, well, effect the the one I always remember was Stuxnet yeah. in the enrichment facilities. Incredibly sophisticated, took offline enrichment very effectively and destroyed some very complicated engineering. And you know they didn't really recover pro- properly. But that that was an example of a one nation state going at another to take something that they didn't like. The other nation found extremely critical and was you know progressing a very um, mm. intense geopolitical conversation about nuclear yeah yeah absolutely there's a great book on stuxnet as well it's really it's a really fascinating um fascinating case and it just shows that the i mean how i mean that was a brilliant piece of uh, malicious software i mean you've got to take your hat off to to the people that wrote that (laughs) whoever did it was very talented yes very very talented black hat off you mean (laughs) (laughs) they didn't destroy it you know that that was the interesting thing is they didn't destroy it. What they wanted to do is just slow down the centrifuges. So actually, it it uh, it reduced the pace at which they could enri- enrich. So and, and actually, if things just shut down, people would do a root cause analysis and try and figure out what it was. But actually, it's much smarter to do things over a long time at a slow pace. Well, isn't there also another pernicious attack surface, particularly with things like Gen AI, which is in the data itself? Exactly the same philosophy, which is just slightly tweak the data to to drive the decision-making just mildly off course. It doesn't have to be radically off course, does it? No, 
No, and, and, and it's interesting, those models, as you train the data, uh, well, there was that classic example. Is it Microsoft released something in, the, in I think it, they released it initially uh, somewhere in the Far East, and uh, and the model worked really well. And then they released it in the Amer- Americas, and, you know, people deliberately poisoned it um, yes. with the bias. World burn. Yeah, yeah. It's like, how can we corrupt this? There's somebody always having a go, isn't there? Yeah. yeah, and it became racist at that point. But it wasn't because culturally people didn't do that in one area. In the US, it did. Mm. And and this model became uh, became racist in the end. And it's yeah. just like, you know, so there was a very early days example of how you can manipulate the data to change the uh, change the outcomes. So it sounds like there's a number of different things that are, that are changing the game here very radically and it's and it's accelerating so obviously you've got the increasing sophistication and volume of attack you have got a radically different technology landscape with you know kind of wholly automated processes being built into it that's changing the game in terms of the day-to-day security process and then you've got the ever-increasing reliance of organizations on technology to your point you know most organizations could not withstand these days extended periods of being cut off from their technology so radically different set of dynamics tell us a little bit then about the day-to-day change in the CISO role itself so when I did my role I reported to the CIO the CISO conversation and the security conversation was almost like an AOB on the ITLT conversation and you know it was like Security is all good then, Dave. We're like, yep, yeah, we're all good. You know, we've just patched. We've patched again. It's all fine. Thanks very much, lads. Quite a different conversation today, I'm guessing. Absolutely. And there's just a couple of other areas just to sort of flesh out the, the totality of it. Before I get into that question, Dave, I mean, sort of the whole geopolitical situation um, that we were just, Rob and I were just talking about, actually manifests itself in regulatory changes as well. So if you look at the world, the world in the early 2000s was all about creating this massive global economy with no boundaries. Today, it's all balkanization. It's all countries declaring sort of an isolationism position on, you know, you 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 can only store our data in our country. And that's making the digital world that much more difficult and the CISO job that much more difficult as well and the final bit is the operational technology people often forget about the fact that all of your rigs your refineries your manufacturing plants they're all run by technology Mm. Uh, and um and there's this sort of there's this almost this cultural divide between the the engineering community and the cyber community and they need to come together to secure those critical assets. And the reason I link that into the geopolitics side is because very recently there's been a number of breaches of water treatment plants. Mm. Now, if you want to create civil unrest in a country, the thing to go after is drinking yeah, water. Mm. So, so you know, you've got to be thinking about all aspects um, from a security perspective as well. And the final bit then would be actually this notion of like we talk about physical and and logical security the two things are interlinked with things like insider threat as well uh, and with terrorism and, and what have you so 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 the the role of the CISO is so broad 
so so that you know my my and i'm i mean i've been out the corporate role now for three years at, at the end of december which is remarkable but i do get i do have the privilege of working with some brilliant people in the in the security industry still and you know the conversations that happen now are so broad so like i said everything from sitting around the CEO's table talking about mergers and acquisitions to new country entry. Um, you know, you've got to be really thoughtful about the security implications based on the geopolitical situation of going into 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 new countries. So you're talking about kind of from talking at very high level business strategy. Mm. You've got to understand uh, regulatory implications of the, the the different environments you're going in, or you know, from a say China perspective, I mean, China's still a massive growth uh, opportunity for most organizations, but, you know, you've got to be really thoughtful about how you position yourself from a cyber perspective as you go into that country. So, so that's, that's really interesting. Then you get all the way down to actually, have you patched everything? Um, you know, right. Microsoft, uh, we've just I'm familiar seen with that. <laughs> <laughs> Upgrade. Yeah. 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 And, and you'll be going in, and, and the, so the role of CISO now is is just uh, just so broad. And I think that's where, again, this is where technology can really help by just kind of assimilating all of this data that you've got across the organization and producing uh, meaningful insights into what, what you need to go after next, which is the next mold you've got to kind of whack. Is the role now, has it evolved to routinely be at least a organizational leadership team or CEO report role, or are you still seeing it being sort of typically being a CIO report role? Unfortunately, I think there's never a simple answer to this, but I mean, most of the time it's still into the technology function. I see, Um, you know, one of my leaving gifts at BP was to get it raised as a peer of the the uh, the CDO, the chief digital officers, and the CIOs, etc. Because I think it should be at that yeah. level. Yeah. What I do see, however, is a lot of the, the people that certainly in the bigger FTSE 100 or S and P top S and P and what have you, the CISO gets a direct line to the CFO, CEO, uh, and the board. There's this, you know, most most organisations don't, you know, the CIO doesn't put himself in the middle of that. And I was blessed at BP that, you know, I had a direct line into into the CFO, I had a direct line into the CEO and uh, and the board, and it was never, even though I reported um, to the CIO at that point, it never got in the way. So I think there's that human behaviour thing, yeah. And there's also the positive side of being part of the CIO organisation is you get to see everything that's happening from a digital perspective. Um, maybe you get less visibility from the business side. And I think the CISO role is more about kind of business and operational risk now than just the technology role. I think it's much broader than just well, technology. You can't disconnect it, can you? Business, you got the merger of IT and OT. And I absolutely agree with the engineering thought pattern around OT is very different from a security perspective to IT. So you've got that merger and coming together. And then you've got the business inextricably linked to technology. Your business is technology. Yeah. Get over that. And so all the factors that affect all those three things come together in one big melee in the middle, isn't it? So you've got this increased complexity and then you've got to apply technology to the problem. Otherwise, you're just going to top out, aren't you, with just too much to deal with? 
Yeah, yeah, and 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 that 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 situation reporting, that almost real time situation reporting, is is so important now. I mean, you know, I don't know a single person. Well, I certainly could never have put my hand on my heart and say um, we've got everything landed in BP, um, and I don't think there's a CISO in the world that could mm. say at any point in time have they patched every vulnerability that's out there. You know, is there any internet facing uh, assets that they don't know about? You know, do they know everything that's going on in their organization? With the democratization of, of digital now, I think that's almost nigh on impossible. You're always going to be behind the curve. Yeah, it also sounds like a very huge responsibility, this role. It, it is a huge responsibility and it kind of comes into that, uh, that the, the issues that have come up recently around the, the Joe Sullivan's uh, of the world. So... Joe was the CISO at, uh, at Uber and um, was indicted and, and, and convicted, actually, of allegedly, I guess it's not allegedly given he was convicted, but of actually, you know, covering up um, a, a data breach. But what was interesting there was the CEO not indicted at all. Mm. Um, and yet, as, as all the reports I've read, whether they're accurate or not, you kind of have to take everything with a pinch, pinch of salt. But everything I've read suggests that um, the CEO knew what was going on. So, so you know, so yeah. on top of that broad church of accountabilities, you've now got the regulators stepping in and uh, and taking criminal cases. You then had um, Tim Timothy Brown from SolarWinds uh, at the end of October again indicted. And what's really interesting about Timothy Browns is is they've gone back to to say that you know frankly he wasn't doing enough about you know he was overstating the the security position of of the company, mm. um, misrepresenting their ability to to, to deal with cyber attacks, uh, and you know that's a really difficult thing to do. I mean failing to apply adequate security controls. Was that misrepresenting the security stance of an organization to say investors and therefore yes. mis- is that is that what the situation was? That, so that, that's, I mean that's an um, amazing microcosm example of the magnitude of change of of accountability around the CISO isn't it? Yeah. It, it it absolutely is and it makes a job pretty pretty uh pretty concerning if you were a Hair-raising. CISO now mm. uh, you know people talk about oh, you've got to have directors and officers insurance and it's like great but that doesn't protect you from criminal liability right that that will right. cover your legal expenses but frankly i i would be less worried about my legal expenses than being banged up in a in a prison for getting something wrong yeah. so there's that there's that thing though which they do with pilots in the airline industry, that if you declare something in time in the right way after it's happened, the pilot's protected as long as they haven't had gross misconduct. And what that's allowed to do is the aviation industry has become open and transparent. So it's an open solution and they constantly improve off the back of those learnings as opposed to closed systems, which is where, you know, medical's a good example where things might be covered up in that industry. There's good cases of that. And a different approach to how the CISO role can be discharged legally because, you know, who's going to want to do the job? If you're sat on top of an organization, you may not have complete control over a lot of politics in play. You may not have the funding that you need and yet you can go to jail for something your organization does. So it's like a, maybe there's a, there's a regulatory and legislative position that needs to change to allow the CISO to be able to discharge the role. But as long as they do the right thing, they are 
protected. Imagine that as an interview question if you're interviewing for a job as a CISO. <laughs> You'd be like, how would you deal with that situation? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was, I, Rob, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I was on a panel um, with uh, and this guy who was an ex-district attorney from New York. And we we get on really well, but we disagree on the whole role of of the regulator. And I always use the analogy of the airline industry. The only reason safety performance improved in the airline industry is they created an open, transparent um, reporting environment, not just within their own companies, but shared that across all the airline industries, so everybody learns. And it's and and oil and gas was exactly the same. I mean, yeah, really sadly, we used to kill loads of people in the oil and gas industry um, decades ago. But actually, adopting that, well, I mean, it's called black box thinking, right? Adopting that sort of mentality of, you know, encouraging people to speak up when there's near misses. Um, you know, you want people to say, "Oh God, blimey, maybe I shouldn't have done X, Y, and Z. Let's report that um, just in case." And that model seems to me uh, a lot better if the regulators could incentivize people to report uh, and then share those learnings across the industry, we would collectively become better. But I think that these recent cases, you know, and, and let's be honest, security, CISOs don't sit in an island, right? They sit in a, an organization and the tone of that organization comes from the CEO, um, you know, shadow of leadership and all of that. So you might be a CISO who wants to report something, but actually the organization dynamics mm. says, no, no, cover it up. God forbid any gets put in that uh, that situation. But, you know, I know I know people who will, uh, you know, as a result of just the company cultures that you see. But I think if the regulators were really uh, encouraging people to, to report and celebrating the fact that people had issues, but they were open and transparent and shared those learnings, that would drive a much healthier a much healthier culture in in cyber. It's like you don't train a dog by kicking it, do you? You train a dog by rewarding it. Well, let, let's continue that thread actually, and, and and talk about the board conversation. So, in your view at the moment, and maybe we do this to like let's pull a few threads together and uh, and bring today's conversation to a bit of a head. Um, is what do you perceive the board conversation is at the moment in most organisations, and then of course really what should it be so i think the 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 larger organizations and things like financial services and and critical uh, you know more of the cn well that's not true actually but some some of the bigger providers in cni i think there's a fairly robust um conversation that happens at the at the top level i, I mean i I think people have to remember that the board is there to help manage uh, manage risk. It's not there to do the job. Mm. So I would say over my tenure at um, as CISO, uh, the maturity of the conversation at the board um, dramatically improved as their understanding that cyber wasn't special. Cyber is just another operational risk. It's just a trigger for a business impacting event. So they're they're as capable of managing the conversation around cyber risk as they are about any other operational risk. And so that, that, that encouraged them to start asking the right, right questions and the right questions, you know, about um, are we doing enough around things like mergers and acquisitions and, and what lessons have we learned from, from, uh, from, from that um, situation? 
alongside the usual, you know, how are we doing around getting the foundations right? I hate a lot of people talk about getting the basics right. Nothing is basic in cyber. So getting those foundational controls in place and operating, and that's where you've got to have kind of real-time information. And I, I, I see so many people patting themselves on the back that, yeah, we're, we, we're great at patching 95% of our estate. And it's like, hmm, okay, what about the 5% that's, um, that's vulnerable? Because that, that's not good. So having that data to hand that says, you know, actually my controls are implemented and they are effective and being able to report that up to the board is really important. Uh, and also then to take them on that journey of maturity, because frankly, um, you know, you have to you have to justify investment to stand still, um, you know, not to, and, and try and you know, that's a really difficult conversation to be able to say, you know, you've got to give me X amount of million dollars. What do I get back for it? Well, just about the same you got today. And it's tough, right? It's it's but but that therefore you've got to kind of take them on that journey of why um, of why that is an important investment to maintain the the security posture. The other thing I'd say as well is they need to be involved in agreeing the risk appetite. So what is the right risk appetite for the company? A bit like market or credit risk or liquidity risk, which they would happily step into. They need to be immersed in what is the right cybersecurity um, uh, posture we need for our company. Because, um, frankly, most people, in fact, nobody needs a CMM level five in cybersecurity. Maybe that's that's one way of actually getting into that conversation is your maturity against things like NIST or, or your framework of choice of which there are ludicrous amount you can choose from but actually get them into that journey about where do you want to be in terms of this risk to the company in a way that they can normalize it against other risks the companies are engaging with shark what you've been looking at this week so each week I do some research on related ideas and transformation in tech. And this week I thought we should take a look at the biggest cybersecurity trends for 2024. So by the end of 2024, the cost of cyber attacks on the global economy is expected to exceed $10.5 trillion, which highlights the need for cybersecurity as a strategic priority. So what are then the biggest threats? AI will play a huge role in both attack and defense strategies. Also, the shortage of skilled security professionals continues to be a big challenge. But also the rise of generative AI in cyber attacks, vulnerability of IT devices. Also, the integration of cybersecurity in boardrooms is going to be a big focus point next year. And lastly, the emergence of cybersecurity regulations. So I have a question for you. What do you think will be the biggest trend for next year? Uh, so all of that. Uh, no, it's... Um, <laughs> all, all of the Tr- above panic. That trillion number sounded <laughs> scary. Yeah, yeah. 10 trillion? Yeah. That should wake somebody up and go, mm, it's costing us a bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably just so old and tired in this world now. But, um, but my view is, yes, all of that. But actually what's still missing is good foundational hygiene. The attackers don't need, they're lazy. It's a bit like the, a, a physical burglar. 
you know, if they walk around your estate and they see a, a, a alarm box on the front of your house, whether there's an alarm it or not, the chances are they're going to go next door. Or if there's a door open, they're going to go through that. Most cyber criminals are lazy. They'll fire and forget, and hopefully they'll they'll breach somebody and then, you know, through their business model in the dark web, you know, give that access to somebody, sell that access to somebody else. You'll take advantage of it, deploy ransomware. It's the basic foundations, the, f- the foundational hygiene that people keep forgetting. They talk about generative AI, and and yes, it's going to enhance the capability of the uh, attackers, but it's also going to enhance the capability of the defenders. But the reality is, credential theft is at the heart of nine out of ten breaches. Still. So, you know, phishing attacks, now phishing attacks will get better as a result of things like Gen AI. Gen AI. You know, you're going to get more and more um, deep fakes and things like that. That's a way. But at the, end, at the end of the day, what they're going to try and do is get out of credentials and, and use those credentials to do what they've always done, which is to sit there, do some reconnaissance, laterally move, escalate privileges, get control of your domain, and then then extort money from you. And, and re- really amusingly, I've got to bring this up because I found this was quite ironic. So we talked about, you know, ransomware was the first level extortion. The second level was actually because people are not paying ransomware anymore, necessary or paying ransoms necessary, less, less exfiltrate data and then try extort money on two dimensions. So double extortion. Now there's triple. Um, the third one is uh, they actually report you to the SEC. Um, <laughs> they dob so, you in. I love yeah. it. They dob you in, you get yeah. arrested. <laughs> yeah. So there's now a threat to dob you into the regulator because um, they obviously know you've been breached. And they've That's got like the, sna- the snakes eating <laughs> They have inside information, point, yeah. So, so without wishing to be flippant, I, I think all of that you've said is true, but actually what the security community and the, you know, the whole, well, it's not just the security community, the business community and the security community just need to get those foundations in place and operating effectively. Do you think there's a risk that the board will chase the shiny thing? So get all entrenched in the conversation about Gen AI security and forget oh, all yeah. the stuff you just said, which is, you know what? The threat's actually over there, mainly, that bit. Yeah, it's important, but yeah, this one's the, the thing you need to think about. Well, so, so I think I think yes, but I think the CISO's job now, especially and the, the good thing about the, the um, not for Joe, clearly, and, and, and Tim, but the good thing about those things is, I think the response from the CISOs to that environment now has to be ultra transparent with the the executive team and the board. So if you know there are issues in your environment, you've got to actually report them up. So through that kind of board reporting, you've got to put everything out there. Uh, And most organizations, you know, have got massive technical debt, so they can't patch a lot of that stuff. They've got to start reporting that up to the board about the state of those foundational um, controls that you need to have to protect you against 90% of the tax. Good business case and going to the cloud, I'd say, Simon. What are you well, in? well, yeah, interesting though, Dave. People are pulling back a little bit now as well. We could have another debate on that one. That's a whole, that's a whole other podcast for another yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but, but I, think, I think that, so, so the CISO's got to pull that conversation back on track, which is, you know, you can talk, we can worry about all that stuff but actually, we just got to get this foundational stuff sorted. In my view, we should create a new law that if the CISO does get arrested, the CEO has to share the cell with them. 
<laughs> that, that might change the conversation dynamic. Yeah. You should be in regulation, Rob, with that kind of laughter. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, then, let's wrap up today's conversation. So, Simon, thanks so much for your time and insight. What an important subject and, you know, still some ways to go, I think, in the whole discipline. But we end every episode of this podcast by asking our guests what they're excited about doing next. And that could be um, going out to look at the Christmas lights this weekend, or it could be something exciting in your professional life. So, Simon, what are you excited about doing next? Uh, I'm excited about getting some sun, Dave. Um, some nice, winter yeah. sun um, so not not till sort of mid-January but um, but you know it's already on the kind of horizon now so looking forward to Christmas but frankly uh, it's been so bloody miserable um, uh, in, in uh, the weather in this uh, this country albeit the sun's out this morning um, I just want some sun some vitamin winter, D some... bit of vitamin D injection absolutely where are you heading to uh, we're going to Lanzarote oh, nice. uh, to a nice sporting hotel. So get lots Beautiful. of activity done Sounds as good. well. Well, look, enjoy that and have a lovely Christmas in the meantime. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for the invite and love the conversation. So a huge thanks to our guest this week. Simon, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks also to our sound and editing wizards, Ben and Louis, our absent producer, Marcel, and of course, to all of our listeners. We're on LinkedIn and X, Dave Chapman, Rob Kernahan and Xiao Kizal. Feel free to follow or connect with us and please get in touch if you have any comments or ideas for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you in another reality next week. <laughs>